Well, when I looked at the reading I was given, I thought I had better apologize to all the other readers who have been given things like genealogies or one to two chapters to read for today's verse. Today's reading is three verses. But God's word is still God's word. So let us read from Matthew chapter 13, verses 44 to 46. Jesus said, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. This is the gospel of Christ. Praise to Christ the word. Thank you, Andrew. Felt like we should have clapped that reading after that. Uh, just before we um, pray and think about these two parables, um, uh, last night the youth group held a uh, bingo evening for our over 65s, and uh, I'm told it was a good night. There was 70 people. There. Hands up if you were there last night. Yeah, great. There's a good crowd in, and I'm hear, I hear that fun was had by all, but especially these three people, because they won. Joel O'Callaghan, I hear won. Uh, Chris Farr and Sherelle Friedberg. Congratulations on uh, winning. Let me pray. Oh, you're going to clap, James? Keep going. <laughs> Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, long weekends and the chance to have a break. I know that a number of our people are away uh, having a rest. We pray that um, they would have a good break and you would keep people safe on the roads. Uh, it's also a weekend where often there are visitors, and um, as James has already prayed, for any who are not normally with us at St. Stephen's, we're very thankful for their presence, and we pray that you would work amongst all who are in these four walls this morning. Lord, as we think about a, a fairly short reading, they contain some fairly strong words from the Lord Jesus Christ, and I pray that now as we think on them for a few minutes, that by your Spirit you may minister to each of us, individually and collectively as a church family. Lord, there is a challenge in these words. There's an encouragement in these words. You know where we're at in life. You know what we need to hear and where we need to be prodded. Please do your work amongst us this morning, for we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, tonight, the NRL Grand Final takes place. And if, and if you don't know that, if you don't know what the NRL Grand Final is, or you're not excited about that, shame on you. <laughs> this is a great occasion. The pinnacle of rugby league is about to happen tonight, and the Melbourne Storm, feel free to boo, the Melbourne Storm, feel free to boo, will take on the mighty Penrith Panthers, feel free to cheer. They will battle it out for rugby league supremacy. Professional sports is one of those aspects of life where natural talent gets someone so far, but really to succeed, to really rise to the heights that you need to, and certainly these people are, it requires a certain level of dedication, a certain level of commitment. Things need to be given and uh, given away in order to succeed. Think of the uh, two teams that we're playing tonight. They will have made various sacrifices in order to be dedicated to their task. They will have made sacrifices over diet, sacrifices I couldn't make, I don't think. They will have made sacrifices over lifestyle, training regimes. They would have said no to certain things that under normal circumstances they would have liked to say yes to. They would have said yes to things that under normal circumstances they wouldn't have wanted to touch. 
they would have had a discipline and a focus that is specialised. This year in particular, because we live in a COVID world, they've had to spend five months in a bubble away from loved ones uh, and their own beds and their own homes and all those kind of things. Is it worth it? At the end of their career, at the end of their life, will they look back at this period of time and think the sacrifices made were worth the reward? They'll receive quite a bit of money, probably more money than most of us in this room will make. If they're a Penrith Panther, they'll get the glory of a premiership tonight. So they'll get a certain level of um, benefit there. But at the end of it, will it be worth it? When they think about the cost, when they think about the value, will it be worth it? Now, most of us are probably not going to be professional sports people in that sense. I haven't quite given up yet that I might be there, but uh, most of us probably won't. But we still do a similar thing in various aspects of our lives. There are certain things that we love and value and prioritise that we dedicate ourselves to, that we commit ourselves to, that we forego other things and commit to certain things in order to do and take part in and achieve. Whether it's uh, the desire to play music or whether it's the, what we invest or put into our career, whether it's the certain relationships that we pursue or hobbies that we take part in. I'm not saying that all these things are equally important, but there will be certain aspects of our life that we dedicate ourselves to, commit ourselves to. At some stage in our life, we'll ask, was it worth it? The reality is, and this makes the question even more uh, kind of real, that for none of the things that we prioritise in this life and dedicate ourselves to, none of them will last. They'll all come to an end at some stage because we ourselves will come to an end. And so if that's the case, is the cost worth the reward? If we did a cost analysis, how would it stand up? At the end of their career, there will be some of the Panthers players who say, was it worth it? Uh, you play league for too long, especially at that kind of level, you will feel it in your body in different places for the rest of your life. It's well known that sports stars whose career kind of finishes in their early to mid-30s find the transition into normal life pretty hard because for most of their life they've been told exactly where to be, what to do, uh, how to do it, what to eat, all that, and then suddenly they've, they've got no other skills and lots of freedom. And yet they will have got money. They will have got some fame. Because they're Panthers, they will have got a premiership in 2020. Will the cost and the value, how will it go with a cost analysis? When we think of the things that we value in life, how will we view it later on? The relationship we invested such time and effort into ends. The career that we put a lot of money into getting trained for and we prepped for and we worked hard in comes to a close. The, the, lessons we, the money we paid for certain lessons in certain aspects, was the effort worth it? Cost analysis. Well, this morning, we're still in Matthew's Gospel, as James said. We're still in chapter 13 of Matthew, where uh, Jesus has been teaching in parables, these short stories where Jesus uses situations that we can understand to teach spiritual truths. And this morning, we've got these two very short parables, two very similar parables, as Andrew read them, and two parables that present the kind of themes that I've just been speaking about. There is something of great value, but also great cost, and the question is, is it worth it? So let's have a think about them generally for a moment, and then I've got two points that I'd like us to specifically reflect on. 
Now, we need to work a little bit harder and a little bit different this morning because in some of the previous parables, Jesus has laid it on a plate for us. He's told us exactly what the parables mean. If you think back to the parable of the sower, he told the parable of the sower, then there were a few other words in Matthew, and then Jesus said, now, what the parable of the sower means is dot, dot, dot. Same with the parable of the wheat and tares that James was talking about uh, yesterday. But we don't get that this time. Jesus doesn't explain it. And there's always a danger of reading too much into the parables or missing the main point. So what is the main point of these two parables? Is it that God wants us to be rich? Because there's a precious commodity that's able to be found in both these parables. Is it in the second one that pearls are better than all other uh, precious commodities? Because pearls seem to be raised up here. In the first one, is it finders, keepers, losers, weepers? Is that the main point of the parable? Well, let's read them, and I want you to think about them. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Think on what's similar in those parables. They're both about what the kingdom of heaven is like. That's the first line in both parables. They both involve the discovery of something precious. Treasure in the first one, a pearl of great value in the second one. They both involve the person who's discovered it, realizing how precious it is, and selling everything they've got in order to have it, uh, to gain it. Now, what's the kingdom of heaven? The kingdom of heaven is an odd term. Sometimes we think about kingdom of God or King Jesus, but we don't always think of kingdom of heaven. Uh, but, but they're very similar, the, these kind of phrases. The kingdom of heaven is the, is the realm where Jesus is king. Uh, for, for the Christian, it means we've been saved. We have Jesus as our king, and we're now a member of the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. And so the parables, think about that for a moment, are about men who find Jesus, men and women who find Jesus and all the blessings that are found in him and having him as king. They find salvation. They find the ability to be part of God's kingdom. And they see and realize that this is so precious, so incredible, it's worth more than everything else they own in life. And they're willing to give up everything to have the blessings that are found in Jesus, that are found in having Jesus as king. Now, there are the similarities between the parables. There is a difference between the parables too, though. In the first parable, the man kind of stumbles into it. It's an accident that he finds this treasure. In the second, it's intentional. It's what the man does. He's literally, we're told, a merchant who's looking for fine pearls, and he finds it. But we understand the difference here, right? There are some people who find Jesus by accident. There are the stumblers. They weren't looking for Jesus, but Jesus grabs them. Something happens in life, they weren't expecting it, but he grabs them. There are others who are searchers. They're looking for Jesus, uh, or looking for truth, or whatever it is, and they find Jesus. And you, you'll, you will be one of those yourself. You will know people that are either a stumbler or a searcher, and we see them in the scriptures. The, uh, the woman at the well, she wasn't searching for Jesus. That's not why she met Jesus at the well at midday in the blazing sun, trying to get water. That's, she was going to get water. And wonderfully, she met the one who offers living springs of water. Think of Saul on the road to Damascus. He wasn't looking for an encounter with the risen Lord Jesus. Jesus just came. This was a stumbler. 
The same with the thief on the cross or the Philippian jailer. But there are others in the scriptures who are different. Think of Cornelius in the book of Acts. He's a devout man who prays to to God regularly. And then one day he meets Peter who tells him about Jesus. Now think about Nicodemus. He, he's, he's looking for the Lord. He's a devout man who then finds Jesus and realizes that he's the truth and he needs to be born again. So there's differences between the parables as well. Now, on top of that, I want to, to be upfront about the fact that there are some people who find these parables, they make them nervous uh, for two reasons, really. One is, the first one, there's a concern that the, the person has acted in an immoral way because he's benefited from something that wasn't his. And the thought is he must have taken something that belonged to someone else. And so people worry that it's uh, immoral. Uh, Perhaps even more serious than that, there's a concern uh, that in both parables, the precious commodity, the treasure, the pearl, which is the kingdom of heaven, is bought. And so you can see that um, everything is sold in both parables to receive the precious item, and so people worry that this is works religion. Instead of uh, God's kingdom and the Lord Jesus Christ being the free gift of God that we receive without anything, it's something that has to be bought. So can you see the nervousness that some people have with these parables? I understand the nervousness, but I want to say I don't think we should have it. Uh, On the first one with the morality, don't read too much into the parables. In other parables, Jesus will talk about a thief in the night. He's not saying that we should be thieves. And he's not saying if we are a thief, the best time to do it is night time. That's not what the the principle is. So don't read too much into it. If you're really worried about it causing a problem, the guy doesn't take the treasure. He buys the land and acquires the treasure. He's shown to be doing more than he needs to. I don't think we're supposed to be worrying about his morality. The other issue is very important. Because uh, justification by faith alone is uh, important, and we don't want to be putting forward works, religion, or anything like that. But neither do we want to downplay the importance of how we behave as disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. I sometimes worry that we are better today on justification by faith, on knowing that what we've received in Jesus is the free gift of God, and we don't have to do anything for it, which is absolutely true. And we're less good on the responsibility that comes with that. Less good on the the cost of being a disciple. It is true that the gift of forgiveness and salvation, the privilege of being a member of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven that you and I have, is the free gift of God. And all we do is trust in Jesus and what he's done. And yet that faith, or if it's true faith, always goes alongside repentance. Us putting to death our way of living, and living in obedience to King Jesus. In other words, we don't just accept Jesus as Savior, although we do accept Jesus as Savior and, and have faith in him, we accept him as Lord and repent in our lives when we don't live his way. Jesus himself said that to be his follower, you have to deny self, take up your cross, and follow him. Over and over in the New Testament, it tells us that the life of a disciple of Jesus is one where we make decisions in life and take actions in life to live for him. There's a cost that comes to following Jesus, and these parables are talking about that. Great value, great cost. So with that in mind, let's see the two points, and it's the cost of the kingdom and the value of the kingdom. The cost of the kingdom and the value of the kingdom. Firstly, then, the cost of the kingdom. This is following on from what I was just saying. The importance of when we know what's ours, it affects the way we live. These two guys sold everything they had to receive the precious commodity. 
And this reminds us that there is a cost to discipleship, to to living with Jesus as king. To follow King Jesus, to be a member of the kingdom, involves us obeying him. It involves us saying no to self and to flesh and saying yes to the spirit and to the Lord. It requires us changing the way we live and living his way, not ours. Jesus doesn't anywhere in the New Testament say, if you guys could just fit me in around the rest of your busy life, that would be great. He doesn't say, if you could just squeeze me in right there next to cooking in the NRL grand final, that'd be lovely. He doesn't say, well, I'd like a a third of your heart, and I'd like you to nominally support some of my priorities and mission. We're to dedicate ourselves fully to Jesus. We're to commit ourselves completely to the Lord. The life of a disciple of Jesus is not half-hearted. It's to be whole-hearted. It's not to be theory. It's to be practice. It's not just to be words. It is to be words, but it's to be deeds as well. As I stand here this morning, I look out and I see people who are committed to lots of different things in their lives. How does it stack up to your commitment to the Lord Jesus? I've been asking myself this this week. Is it noticeable? And I point this out because in these verses, when Jesus started the chapter in chapter 13, he was talking to the crowds. But in verse 35, he stops and he goes inside and now he's speaking to the disciples. So he's asking the disciples to consider the cost of following him, us. And I say that because there are some of us who, for a long time in our spiritual lives, will keep kind of one foot in in either field, in the boat of self and in the boat of Jesus. We're half-hearted and we we don't actually live out our faith. We've got a desire to. At different times we want to, but we don't actually do it. In his book, Practical Religion, J.C. Ryle, who was a bishop of Liverpool many, many years ago, he could have been describing right now when he wrote this about certain people who want to live a Christian life, but they don't actually do it. They can't actually do it. And often they'll say, I wish I had your faith. What they're missing is the action. But this is what he wrote. After a stirring sermon, or after a funeral, or under the pressure of illness, or on a Sunday evening, or when things are going badly in their family, dot, 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 they will at that time think a good deal and even talk a little bit about Christianity in a vague way. But they stop short, as if thinking and talking were enough to save them. They're always meaning and intending and purposing and resolving and wishing and telling us that they know what's right and hope to be found right at last, but they never attain to any action. There's no actual separation from the service of the world and sin. There's no real taking up the cross and following Christ. There's no positive doing in their Christianity. I echo that because that was me for a number of years. Do we have one foot in the Jesus boat and one on the good ship self, the good ship world? Is Jesus an add-on to our lives rather than the center of our lives? Is Jesus part of some of the areas of your life but absent from some of the other areas of your life. We can do that as followers of Jesus sometimes. I'll accept Jesus for guidance with my career, but I retain the right to pick my romantic partner. I trust the Lord with my loved ones, but the use of my wallet remains my sole discretion, and I don't want him involved in that. What areas of life do we leave him out of? Out of the boardroom? 
out of the bedroom, out of the classroom? What do we refuse to let go of, to move on from? What aspects of our social life have we not brought under Christ? Or our work life, or our priorities, or certain relationships? We're to give up our old way of life to receive the new. But it's hard. I think that sometimes some of our most prized possessions are our sins, and we won't give them up. And I'm not talking about the the person who's desperately trying to give something up but just keeps failing. I'm talking about even the desire to. They just have a hold on us. We don't actually want to give them up. We won't quit that relationship or stop that habit or remove that behaviour or walk away from that feeling because there's something in it we still love. We still love popularity or prosperity or pleasure more than the king. Still live for those things more than his kingdom. I know that as I say this, some of you this morning will know that you're still half-hearted in your following of Jesus. I want to remind you today, there's a cost that comes with following Jesus, and it's significant. And it's not something to be trifled with or thought little of, it's to be strained for. In lots of areas of our life, we give it our all, in a particular area or a particular time. A lot of people here will be coming up to exams soon, and we change our lifestyle for the, for the purpose of exams. Or we do it for our career, we'll sacrifice certain money or time, we'll do it for our pleasure pursuits or certain relationships. Do we give it all for Jesus? All the time? That's what we're called to do. That's the cost. There's a cost to discipleship, being part of the kingdom. And I want... I, 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 I make no apology for speaking about it strongly this morning. Don't muck around with this. It's too important. Pick a side. Pick a boat. Commit. Live for. Repent. Obey. Do you feel the strength of some of those words? They're kind of absolute words. But that's the level of importance here. Do it. These men in the parables gave up everything they had to gain the precious commodity. Are we doing that? There's a cost to the kingdom. There's a fly in the hall. (laughs) Secondly, the value of the kingdom. The value of the kingdom. The value of the kingdom, we've been seeing this as we've been doing the parables, isn't it? The value of the kingdom can be hidden if we don't have ears. That's what the parables have taught us. Uh, Lots of people don't see the truth of it, but I'm looking out at a bunch of people who have ears and are listening. So I want you to hear and uh, realize the value of the kingdom this morning. It is worth anything and everything we can do. It's worth more than that. And in the end, it's Jesus who's paid it for us, but the kingdom is worth infinitely more than the cost of discipleship. If you don't remember anything else, remember that. The kingdom is worth infinitely more than the cost of discipleship. The gain is worth the pain. In the end, we find out that the pain's little because living God's way is always best, but it's worth it. Let me remind you of what you have in Jesus. Let me remind you of the value of the treasure in the field and the pearl of great value that you and I have, the value of being a member of the kingdom of God. Think about it for a moment. There's a a former generation of Christians who used to talk about the four Ps. When they talked about the benefit of being a Christian, they would talk about the four Ps. Pardon, power, peace, purpose. Pardon, power, peace, purpose. We don't tend to use... People remember the four Ps? No one remembers the four Ps. I invented four Ps. Uh, 
No, this is, this is what gen- generations used to. When you talked about the benefit of being a Christian, they used to talk about those four Ps. Pardon. My guilt dealt with. Any conscience issues, gone, because Jesus died for me. Total pardon and the wonder that that brings. Power. We hate in this world feeling weak. For the Christian, we're never weak, struggling alone anymore. The Spirit of God himself moves within us, enables us, inspires us, empowers us. Power. So pardon, power, peace. Peace firstly with God, because we've been reconciled to God because of Jesus. But as soon as you've got peace with God, you've got peace of mind, peace for the future. There's a certainty and a settledness and an assurance that you have. Peace and then purpose. For Christians, we know what we're doing. We know what life's about and why we're here and what we need to do and where we're going for the future. This is so good. These four Ps are brilliant. Pardon, power, peace, purpose. But as I thought about it, you could go on with more Ps. I invented some. People, the people of God. We're brought into a family. Do you know how many people in this world would love to be part of a loving family? For Christians, we're brought into the family of God with a heavenly Father and brothers and sisters in Christ. Presence, the presence of God. So many people feel disconnected. They feel like they're isolated and no one's around them. When you're a Christian, God is with us always. We're never alone, never isolated. I reckon we could go on with peace almost eternally. In a world where so many people don't know who they are or what they're here for or who feel disconnected or uncertain or who feel no connection with others, if you've got Jesus, it's the exact opposite. Isn't that reason to rejoice? Do you see the value of the treasure and the pearl? How many people today would love a broken heart mended or a troubled mind soothed or a guilty conscience appeased? Jesus brings healing in all these things and more. And that's just the value of the treasure and the pearl in this world, in the here and now. But these parables in chapter 13 have been about this world, but they've also had a bigger vision for the end to come, for the world to come. And the the beauty of the the pearl and the the treasure that you and I have is the benefits of the kingdom of heaven, the benefits of having Jesus as king are eternal. They never perish, spoil, or fade. They never break or get lost or rust or die. That's what you and I have in Jesus. And so do you see the difference that makes when you do a cost analysis? I spoke before of looking at the cost and the value and trying to work out whether it's worth it and that kind of thing. In this world, it's always different. As I said before, one of the Penrith Panthers in 30 years, when they look back on their life and they feel the aching in their bones and they see where they've kind of gone and where they've been to and they remember the benefits as well, will it be worth it? The, the, the cost uh, analysis of anything in this world is limited because it's always finite. When it's Jesus, it's eternal. The kingdom is worth infinitely more than the cost of discipleship. When you have the pearl, you have the sweet taste of forgiveness and know that there is someone who knows you perfectly and yet loves you completely. You can't find that anywhere else and it lasts eternally. When you have the treasure in the field, then you are part of the family of God. With him as your father and brothers and sisters in Christ, with Jesus as your brother. When you have this treasure you have the security of an assured future. These are the real deal. They can't be found anywhere else. The value of the kingdom is inestimable. It's incalculable. It's immeasurable. 
It's awesome. That's the value of the kingdom. We've got a cost. We've got a value. So as I finish, what will you do with this news? What will you do with the the truths of this parable? I want to say to you this morning, if you haven't fully committed to Jesus, if you're still holding off committing to him properly, you've got a foot in one and in the other, and you know it even as I speak, take the foot out of one and put it fully into the Jesus boat. Live for him wholeheartedly. Commit completely. Dedicate yourself fully to him. Sort out whatever you need to. Stop doing certain things. Start doing other things. Change direction where you need to. Don't hold on to the old way of life. This is too important. It's too valuable. It's too good. But for those of you who may have been feeling a bit stagnant in your walk with the Lord, or perhaps you're just reeling a bit from a tricky year, the the reality of this year has been choking the life out of you or getting on top of you, Remember the value of what you've got in Jesus, the blessing that is yours. The man in the first parable had joy and went and sold everything. He had joy first and then sold everything. Some people think, well, if you follow Jesus, it's not joy. It is joy because of these wonderful truths that I've just said and the value. It's normally, the people that don't find joy in Jesus are normally the ones who've got a foot in, in, in each one and don't fully commit. Remember the value you've got and be encouraged by that. Be blessed by that. Uh, Also, another bit of implication or application from these parables, if you're involved in discipling another Christian, and I hope you are, I hope that as Christians, there's always uh, other Christians who are junior to us, who have not been Christians for as long, perhaps don't know as much. And one of the, the responsibilities we have as Christians is to disciple other Christians. When you're discipling other Christians... Sometimes talk to them about the cost and sometimes encourage them with the value. There's real wisdom in that. And get it round the right way. Don't do the wrong thing at the wrong time because that's a, a burden that they don't need. These are wonderful truths. We have a wonderful uh, gift in the Lord Jesus and the privilege to live for him. I pray that we too will have joy like the first man in the first parable as we give thanks and live in the light of what we have in our Saviour and in our Lord. Let me pray. Father, thank you for these two uh, parables that although they're short, they pack such a punch. Father, I pray for any here today who uh, may be thinking even now, I need to commit more fully to the Lord Jesus. I've mucked around and I, I haven't done it. And please give them both the desire and the discipline to be able to do it, to live for him. And Father, in doing that, may they and all of us here this morning know the privilege we have, the assurance, the confidence, your presence, all the peace and the beauty of them and the wonder of them. Father, we thank you for all you've given us in Jesus, and we thank you for them eternally. In Jesus' name, amen.